Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 350 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Jill. This is... <laughs> oh, man. Presented by Jill, indeed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we got a bumper. Try that again. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 350 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. Uh, we just both got back from ALA. We did. We were just talking about our wildly different experiences <laughs> in the airport. You had that one of those fancy passes. We did. For I did the not. United Club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not. I was amongst the common folk. Sorry about that. Yeah, well. That's okay. Um, it was a lot of fun. DC was, it was muggy, but it was, it was, it was good. It was hot. It was hot. And if everyone's ever been to one of those conventions, whether it's like an ALA one or Comic Con or any of those, you know that it feels like it wildly varies depending on what part of the conference center you're in. It's either freezing and stale or real, real hot. And we had both of those. <laughs> We did, yeah. I was over at the source books booth, and Margaret was saying, "Oh, she brought like sweaters." I'm like, "What is wrong with yeah, you?" Yeah, <laughs> I was sweating in a t-shirt, and she was wearing a coat. And she yeah, was like, can you bring me one of those overdrive fleeces? Like, <laughs> she did mention that. I was like I can, but and then I stood over there for a while. And I got it. Ooh, so. yeah, it was a, uh, it was a little warm. Yeah, so I'm done traveling now for work. I'm so happy. It's been a tour. Um, so impossibly, unbelievably, we're doing July books. Yeah, we are. Because half the year is gone. Um, for people who are new, we go back and forth with our list of books we're most excited about for the upcoming month. We don't tell each other about them ahead of time. We'll definitely have some overlap in this month, I feel like. Because there's some that I wanted to put on just to make sure you didn't have them. Um, and we'll make a list. And we'll probably not go through all of them. I have like 11 or 12 books. I have eight. I think I got last count. Well, okay. nine. I did, there's one I did not put on my list. I didn't know if you put it on. It's kind of the more obvious elephant in the room one, but I'm starting. I'm starting okay, this month. That's fine. <laughs> so I'm just saying. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's the elephant in the room one. <laughs> if it's not the one I'm thinking of, it's gonna be the funniest thing ever. <laughs> um, I felt weird putting it on my list. So okay, then yes, okay. it's the same one. Um, so we'll we'll go through some of the ones we really like, and then depending on how we're doing on time, we'll just put the rest of them in the show notes. Um, do you want to tell people how they can get a hold of us since I'm going to start? Sure. You can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. From there, you can get all of our social links. We're on Twitter and Instagram, at ProBookNerds. Um, we're, uh, you can email us, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. We have our Viber community on there. You can come chat about books and yeah. Yeah. And you told people you, they can email us, right? Yeah, you I said did. that just now, seconds ago. So, all right. So we're going to go back and forth. You got, they say you have all yours pulled up. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm starting. Okay. So my first book is called Reading Behind Bars by Joe Grunewald, a true story of literature, law, and life. 
as a prison librarian. Joe, you wrote a second book and it's coming out this week. Uh, yeah. Well, so, well, in a few days. In a few days. How are you feeling? Weird. Feeling weird. <laughs> I know how much you love talking about yourself. So you put you on the spot it's there. Great. Yeah. It's going to be fantastic. No, uh, yeah, so I have a book coming out all about my uh, years as a prison librarian. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. You're all going to love it. Do you want to talk to them about your signing? Because it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Seen. So um, once my publisher realized I was going to be at ALA, we decided to set up a signing uh, for Saturday morning. Um, I didn't really know what to expect from that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I've stood in those lines, but this is like a small little pub. I mean, they're uh, they're distributed by one of the big five, but the publisher itself is um, relatively small. So uh, I was told it would be about an hour. Um, I get there at 1130. I get there at 1120. The sign's at 1130. There are already people waiting. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Um, <laughs> yeah, so there are people waiting. And um, I like, so the signing starts in about maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Like there's people coming through about 10 or 15 minutes and um, it starts to slow and trickle. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. No, no. They had staggered the signing people. Yeah. There was like a gap. They just hadn't made it to the table yet. Uh-huh. There was a line. There was a line. Yeah. That wrapped around the end of the booth thing, apparently, according yep. to our colleague. I um, can confirm that. Okay. So there was a line that wrapped around. So 95 books, 96 books, I think, actually, in, uh, in 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I was, when you started, I was doing one of the interviews and so when we do an interview, like I always put my phone on airplane mode just because I'm always worried someone's going to call me while I'm doing an interview and the recording's going to stop. And so I took my phone off airplane mode and I got done doing the interview and I get a text from Jill in like all caps like, there's a giant line for my signing. So like I grabbed my camera and like ran over to take a bunch of pictures. And it was like, it was like one of the really cool friend, just like a cool friend moment to be like so unabashedly excited for yeah. it. It was so cool. It was so awesome to see all these people excited for your book. Apparently our colleague Ryan came by and I didn't even see him. Yeah. He didn't come in the line, mm-hmm. but he was like, yeah, I came over to say hi and give you a high five and you didn't see me. <laughs> and Sorry. <laughs> listen, people, I'm just going to tell you this right now. If you haven't jumped on the holds list for Jill's book at your library, I'm going to do this part so you don't feel awkward. If you haven't jumped on the holds list yet or recommended it to your library, you should do that because it's one of the most popular books coming out in July in our systems. So there will be a wait for it. So jump on those lists now and make your recommendations. You totally should. Jill's, Jill's big old new book called Reading Behind Bars, which is the thing I'm most excited to read in July. Okay, calm That's down. my first <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy Enjoy editing all my yelling right there. <laughs> Will do. Will do. <laughs> All right. You can, now you can talk about a book if you would. Okay. So my first one is called Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. I feel like I have discussed this probably because this book blew me away. Um, when the publisher came and did a presentation uh, a couple months ago, I immediately <laughs> got an advanced copy um, and read it in like a weekend. So this is about it's – tr- it's, it's nonfiction. Um, it's about three women, Lena, Maggie – and Sloan, who live in different parts of the United States. And for 10 years, uh, the author Lisa had sort of like moved in over the course of 10 years, um, had like moved in and and watched and learned these women, um, their uh, their lives, specifically their sex lives. And so uh, Lena is a homemaker and mother of two whose marriage um, has lost all passion and she starts to have an affair. Uh, Sloan is a successful businesswoman in a very happy marriage, except her husband, 
um, happens to like seeing her have sex with other men and women. And then Maggie, um, when we first meet her, she's in high school, uh, who allegedly had a inappropriate relationship with a teacher who went on to be like favorite teacher, like the state's teacher of the year. Um, and she steps forward with her story um, and allegations, and it does not end well for her. It doesn't go well. The town does not respond nicely. So <laughs> uh, this book was just, like, unlike anything I've ever read, um, Lisa does not hold back on in any regard. And I actually got to interview her. As soon as I finished the book, I emailed the publisher and was like, can I please interview her for the podcast? Because I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that will be coming out in a couple weeks, uh, right before the book is out. Um, so that is Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. I don't know if you've talked about it before. I have, but, I feel like, but... But either way, when I saw it, I was like, this is a book Joe will have on her list. Oh, no, Maybe I mean... Did. Yeah, I think I have, just because it was really unlike anything I've I've really read before. Um, do you have Colson's book on your list? I do. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll let you do that one. Um, so one I really, really want to talk about is, I don't care if you have this or not, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-mm. Okay, awesome. So, Pan's Labyrinth came out a while ago at this point it, by Guillermo del Toro was the movie, and it was, I, it was just it was like a movie that just blew my mind into outer space. It is one of the best movies I've ever seen, bar none, and um, they finally wrote a full like dark fairy tale fantasy novel about it um so it's Guillermo del Toro and um, Alan Williams does these illustrations that look wild um and so it's this spellbinding tale that takes readers to a sinister magical war-torn world filled with richly drawn characters like trickster phones uh murderous soldiers child-eating monsters courageous rebels and a long-lost princess hoping to be reunited for her family so I'm not sure if it's expanding on the story that was in the movie or if it's taking the world and telling a different story i don't care i'm just a win for it either way not gonna lie this is gonna be a book that i'm gonna buy and just put on my bookshelf too as well it looks gorgeous so sure pan's labyrinth i can't watch that movie again because the whole creepy thing with the eyes oh that's understandable with the guy can't, with the hands can't do it can't do it okay, yeah that's fair um, okay, so since you mentioned it, we're going to go with Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. Mm-hmm. So this takes place in the Jim Crow South of the 1960s, and it is about um, a young uh, teenager, or I'm not sure if it actually says his age. I'm not sure it does teenager, either. Teenager, early 20s maybe. Um, Elwood, um, he is set out. He, uh, he's been abandoned by his parents, but kept on the straight and narrow by his grandmother, and he enrolls in a local black college. But for black boy in the Jim Crow South, um, one innocent mistake is enough to destroy his future. And Elwood is sentenced to a juvenile reformatory called the Nickel Academy, whose mission statement says it provides physical, intellectual, and moral training so the delinquent boys in their charge can become honorable and honest men. Of course, um, this is also a Colson Whitehead novel. So, in reality, <laughs> the Nickel Academy is a grotesque chamber of horrors where the sadistic staff beats and sexually abuses the students, corrupt officials, and locals steal food and supplies, and any boy who resists is likely to disappear, quote-unquote, outback. Stunned to find himself in such a vicious environment, Elwood tries to hold on to Dr. King's reign assertion, throw us in jail, and we will still love you. His friend Turner thinks Elwood, Elwood is worse than naive and the world is crooked and the only way to survive is to scheme and avoid trouble. 
The tension between Elwood's ideals and Turner's skepticism leads to a decision whose repercussions will echo down the decades. So. Yeah. Um, if it's a Colson book, it can't just have one, one like, normal story. It's going to break your heart 17 different ways. Pretty much. Um, and I actually mentioned this on Twitter yesterday, I think, because it was like exactly three years ago. For mm-hmm. new listeners, uh, Jill and I actually interviewed Colson. Uh, on the same day that we interviewed Matthew Desmond in a wild, uh, wild situation where we interviewed two Pulitzer Prize winners within two hours of each other in Chicago. So if you want to hear Colson Whitehead talk about the Underground Railroad with us, it's episode 135. So you can go back and check that out. That was my first ALA, too. That was, yeah. That was really fun. That day was insane. Fancy room. Um, <laughs> okay, so my next one is called Dark Age. It's by Pierce Brown, uh, because I will, even though he doesn't <laughs> need our, our publicity. I will talk about every Pierce Brown book as they come out every single time. Uh, he is the author of the Red Rising series, and technically this is the fifth book in the Red Rising series. He did a trilogy, and then the fourth book, which was Iron Gold, uh, had like 10 years passed between, and then it's kind of a new trilogy. But um, Red Rising was sort of the first real science fiction that I um, like fell in love with. And I will give credit to my wife every time I talk about it because she discovered an article about Pierce Brown the first time that, that Red Rising came out when he was just a debut author. And she specifically said, she's like, I want to read this book. And also I would leave you for him because he's a handsome, a handsome gentleman who is also wildly talented. And uh, it has proven out that I would understand if she did at this point <laughs> with how cool he is. Uh, so Dark Age is the fifth book of this series they don't provide any information about what it's going to be about but i don't care because the series is so good if you like uh like roman and greek mythology but also science fiction um these books are perfect for you so definitely check them out and the fifth one's coming out this month so my next one is lock every door by riley sager so this takes place um at a apartment building known as the Bartholomew, which is one of Manhattan's most high-profile and mysterious buildings. It involves a um, sitter, Jules, and her only rule um, when she takes on the job is no visitors, no nights spent away from the apartment, no disturbing the other residents, all of whom are rich or famous, or both. Um, So she takes the job in this, like, fabulous apartment building, and all things are great. And then as she gets to know the residents and staff of the Bartholomew, she finds herself drawn um, to a fellow apartment sitter, Ingrid, who comfortably reminds her of the sister she lost eight years ago. And then Ingrid confines that the Bartholomew is now what it seems, and the dark history hidden beneath its gleaming facade is starting to frighten her. Jules brushes it off as a harmless ghost story until the next day when Ingrid disappears. Wah, wah, wah. So, does sound really good, right? Yeah. So that's "Lock Every Door" by Riley Sager. Uh, my next one is "Growing Things and Other Stories" by Paul Tremblay. So Paul Tremblay wrote "The Cabin at the End of the World," which I will admit that when I first read it, I didn't like it, and then I reread it. I reread like that last third of it because everyone I talked to who had read it was obsessed with it, and then I became obsessed with it after a second reading, and I kind of understood. Uh, Growing Things and Other Stories is a series of psychological suspense and literary horror stories, uh, a bunch of short stories. So the one of them is called The Teacher, which is a Bram Stoker Award nominee for Best Short Story. Uh, and in that one, a student is forced to watch a disturbing video that will haunt and torment her and her classmates' lives. There's another one called The Getaway, where four men rob a pawn shop at gunpoint, and then they start vanishing one by one. 
Uh, and uh, Swim wants to know if it's as bad as Swim thinks. A meth addict kidnaps her daughter from her estranged mother and their town is terrorized by a giant monster or not. Um, so he also did a series of short stories called A Head Full of Ghosts, which was awesome. Uh, so this is kind of just like following that. He's really, really good at, at telling spooky short stories. So that's Growing Things and Other Stories by Paul Tremblay. My next one is The Bookish Life of Nina Hill by Abby Waxman. So this is about Nina. She's the only child of a single mother, and she like she has her life just as she wants it. Job in a bookstore, uh, a kick-butt trivia team, a world-class planner, and a cat named Phil. I mean, I really feel like Abby and I <laughs> will get along. Um, <laughs> if she sometimes suspects there might be more to life than reading, she just shrugs and picks up a new book. Again, I feel like... Uh-huh. Go on. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, uh, so when the father Nina never knew existed suddenly dies, leaving behind... Um, innumerable sisters, brothers, nieces, and nephews, Nina is horrified. They all live close by, and even worse, they all want to come and meet her. She'll have to speak to strangers. This description, I just have to say... I was say, like, Jill, how does this make you feel? <laughs> this description is incredible, just because, like, it's so fun if you just read the description itself, because there's, like, exclamation points and all this stuff. Yeah, there is. So, um... <laughs> um... So, not only does she have to meet all of these people... Uh, Tom, her trivia nemesis, it's turned out to be cute, funny, and deeply interested in getting to know her. So Nina has to consider her options. She can completely change her name and appearance, which is a little too drastic. She can flee to a deserted island, hard pass, see coffee. This is in the description, y'all. Yeah, she's reading um, <laughs> Yeah, I read this too. She's reading the description kind of verbatim right now. And yeah. third, hide in a corner of her apartment and rock back and forth, already doing it. So it's time for Nina to come out of her comfortable shell, and she isn't convinced... But she isn't convinced real life could ever live up to fiction. It's going to take a brand new family, a persistent suitor, and the combined effects of ice cream and trivia to make her turn her own fresh page. Yeah, I read that and I was like, I want to read this book, but I also know Jill's going to put it on her list. Yeah. That's a good one. That's The Bookish Life of Nina Hill. Uh, My next one is The Merciful Crow by Margaret Owen. Uh, it got a starred Kirkus review, and in the starred Kirkus review, it says perfect for fans of Lee Bardugo and Tommy Adiemi. So I'm not gonna lie, I stopped reading the description after that because uh, that's me. I am, I am that. Yeah. Um, but I will read you guys the description because this would be a terrible podcast if we just told you what Kirkus said and then didn't. <laughs> Anything Fair. Else. Um, one way or another, we always feed the crows. So Fee abides by one rule: look after your own. Her crow cast of undertakers and mercy killers takes more abuse than coin, but when they're called to collect royal dead, she's hoping they'll find a payout of a lifetime. When Crown Prince Jasimir turns out to have faked his death, Fee's ready to cut her losses and perhaps his throat. But he offers a wager that she can't refuse. Protect him from a ruthless queen, and he'll protect the crows when he reigns. Hawk warrior Tavin always has always put Jass's life before his own, magically assuming the prince's appearance and shadowing his every step. But what happens when Tavin begins to want something to call his own? This feels very um, very heisty, like there's going to be some sort of like an Ocean's Eleven situation here. So I'm seeing why they're suggesting that it sounds like Lee Bardugo as well. So uh, that's The Merciful Crow by Margaret Owen. And it's the beginning of the series, which all four. I have The Paper Wasp by Lauren Agcampora. So in small town Michigan, Abby Graven leads a solitary life. Once a bright student on the cusp of a promising art career, she now languishes in her childhood home, trudging to and from her job as a supermarket cashier. Each day, she is taunted by the magazine racks um, of the images of her former best friend, Elsie, a rising Hollywood starlet whose life and pictures Abby obsessively scrapbooks. 
that's normal. So at night, Abby escapes through the films of her favorite director, uh, Augusta Perrin, a cult figure known for his creative institute, the the Rizome. Inspired by Perrin, Abby draws fantastical storyboards based on her often premonitory dreams, visionary gifts she keeps hidden. So then she goes to her high school reunion and encounters Elsie, who not only um, considers her still a friend, but a brilliant storyteller and a true artist. Elsie's unexpected faith in Abby reignites her in her dormant hunger, and Elsie offhandedly tells Abby to look her up if she's ever in L.A. Abby just sort of soon arrives on her doorstep. Because, again, that's fine. Sure. So there, Abby discovers that although Elsie is flourishing professionally, behind her glossy magazine veneer, she is lonely and disillusioned. Over the support of friend, Abby becomes enmeshed in Elsie's world, even as she guards her own dark secret and burning desire for greatness. As she edges closer to Elsie, the Riz home, and her own artistic ambitions, the dynamic shifts between the two friends, until Abby can see only one way to grasp the future that awaits her. That does sound really, really good. That sounds like there's like some like single white female thing happening there. Mm-hmm. There's some all about Eve. <laughs> what? It totally is. I know. It's just, it's <laughs> the way you said it. I just enjoyed <laughs> um, My next one is Wanderers by Chuck Wendig. And I'm going to tell you about the book in a second. But if you're not following Chuck on Twitter, you really should be because he is one of the most fun people to follow. He has this writing shed. And in his writing shed, he keeps a really like high powered camera because it's in the woods and there's this like little family of baby foxes and he has this like months long thread going on twitter about these foxes and them frolicking and he has all these high-res photos of baby foxes playing and it's really really fun and it came up over the weekend when i was interviewing uh erin morgenstern because she also has a writing shed and also had baby foxes and they like bonded over it and now I want a writing shed but mainly i want baby foxes yeah so. sure okay so his book wanders is described as such. A decadent rock star, a deeply religious radio host, a disgraced scientist, and a teenage girl who may be the world's last hope. Shana wakes up one morning to discover her little sister in the grip of a strange malady. She appears to be sleepwalking. She cannot talk and cannot be woken up. And she is heading with determination to a destination that only she knows. But Shana and her sister are not alone. Soon they're joined by a flock of sleepwalkers from across America on the same mysterious journey. And like Shana... There are other shepherds who follow the flock to protect their friends and family on this long, dark road ahead. Uh, On their journey, they will discover an America convulsed with terror and violence where the apocalyptic epidemic proves less dangerous than the fear of it. As the rest of society collapses all around them and an ultra-violent militia threatens to exterminate them, the fate of the sleepwalkers depends on unraveling the mystery behind the epidemic. Sounds very, very, very unique. I don't understand how he came up with this, but... Who knows? The Wanderers by Chuck Wendig. My next one is Beneath the Tamarine Tree by Isha Sese. So this is um, about the kidnapping um, that happened in April of 2014 when the militant Islamic group Boko Haram violently burst into the small town of Chibok, Nigeria and abducted 276 girls from their school dorm rooms. They were girls from poor families, and they were determined to make a better life for themselves, but pursuing an education made them targets, resulting in one of the most high-profile abductions in modern history. Um, It prompted the hashtag bring back our girls, um, and many unanswered questions uh, about that faithful night still remain. Um, 
and along with questions of where many of them are today. So the author worked, um, is, is originally from Sierra Leone. She worked as CNN's Africa reporting um, person for a decade, and she was on the front lines when the story broke. And so she had unprecedented access to a group of girls who made it home. And in her book, she follows the journeys of Priscilla, Say, and Dorcas in an uplifting tale of sisterhood and survival. That, that is a tough beat to cover. That is insane. Yeah. Oh my God. I do remember that. That was not great. Not great. Uh, I'm going to tra- transition awkwardly to another book now. Uh, my next one is Midnight at the Blackbird Cafe by Heather Weber. So. I don't normally read what to me seems kind of like a cozy mystery sort of a book, but there's also magic, magical realism in there. And I think you and I were talking last time we were discussing books. I think it was the audiobooks episode. We were kind of talking about our, um, like, basically I said there's a few things that just have to have such a low bar. Like if something has pirates in it, I'm good. Yeah. Circuses, things like that. Um, another one, if a book is met, has magical realism, I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> almost, almost always. Um, so this one is kind of like a small southern town romance, but it has magical realism in it as well. So nestled in the mountain shadows of Alabama lies the little town of Wicklow. And it's here that Anna Kate has returned to bury her beloved Granny Z, owner of the Blackbird Cafe. It's supposed to be a quick trip to close the cafe and settle her grandmother's estate. But despite her best intentions to avoid forming ties or even getting to know her father's side of the family, Anna finds herself inexplicably drawn to the quirky southern town and her that her mother ran away from so many years ago and the mysterious blackbird pie everybody can't stop talking about so also the cover has like a gorgeous pie on it and that like it does i saw it that also kind of brought me in so that's midnight at the blackbird cafe i have a prayer for travelers by rushika tamar so kale is a bookish loner of mysterious parentage and she lives in a dusty town near the California-Nevada border, a place where coyotes scavenge for backyard dogs and long-haul truckers scavenge for pills and girls. Kale was raised by her grandfather in a loving, if codependent, household, but as soon as she left high school, his health began an agonizing decline. Set adrift for the first time, Kale starts waitressing at the local diner, where she reconnects with Penelope, a charismatic former classmate running mysterious side hustles to fund her dreams. What is with all these, like former classmates run into them okay so (laughs) penny exposes kale to the reality that exists beyond their small town and the girls become inseparable until one terrifying act of violence shatters their world when penny vanishes without a trace kale must set off on a dangerous quest across the desert to find her friend and discover herself this sounds really good yeah i like it um so i'm not going to give a lot of information on this next one but it's a ya fantasy a series that is starting and this one's called spin the dawn by elizabeth Lim, which is the first one uh, it's described as project runway meets mulan so already i was like all right go on uh and it's about a young girl who poses as a boy to compete for the role of imperial tailor and embarks on an impossible journey to sew three magical dresses from the sun the moon and the stars that was really all i needed and then i also saw that it got blurbed by tamora pierce and gregory mcguire i was like okay that's a yeah. To, yeah, a little random, right? I was like, Gregory Maguire, like, in Wicked and Hidden Sea, not what I would expect to be blurbing a YA book, but Gregory Maguire is in. Um, yeah. So that's Spin the Dawn. Um, anything that is similar to Mulan, I will at least give a chance. Uh, so I have one book left. This is Semicolon by Cecilia Watson. Oh! <laughs> 
It is a book about the semicolon, y'all. The punctuation mark. I feel like I don't really... <laughs> Our communications team would love this. We would... Yeah, there's an entire book about the semicolon. Um, you know, charts the rise and fall of this infamous punctuation mark, which for years was the trendiest one in the world of letters, but in the 19th century. As grammar books became all the rage, the rules of how you use language became both stricter and more confusing, with the semicolon a prime victim. I used to put them in everything. I'm still not entirely sure how to use it properly. I am not either. And in fact, we had a former director here, uh, or not director, manager, Heather. Hi, if you're listening. She, I would put it in like blogs and stuff all the time. And she would constantly comment like, Adam, there is literally no place for this. Please stop using a semicolon. It's just two sentences that you're writing. Yeah. I don't know how to use it either. I really am not entirely sure. Um, but we have an entire book about it. Yeah, maybe it'll help us learn. I will say, like I said, our communications team that Jill and I are both a part of we sit in these cubes that are all very next, very close to each other, and like not all the time, but like once a week, one of us will stand up and be like, "How do you say this thing?" or "How do you? When do you write out numbers versus using yeah. the actual numerals?" Or like, "Hey, is spell binding one word or two or whatever?" And uh, our coworker Dan, who definitely is not listening, there's no way he definitely listens not. to us. He has the AP book, and he's like, "Let's consult the book," and he brings it out. Then we have nerdy grammar conversations. So. We do, because some of us, I think I'm the only one left, who is pro-Oxford comma, and the rest of y'all are not. And I have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> um, listen, Jandra is with you. She supports it. But I mean, on our team, on our team, I oh, think I'm the only one left yeah, who is pro-Oxford comma. I try comma. to use it. It just feels like a wasted keystroke. I... Professional Book News presents Oxford Comma. <laughs> Probably could. We'll do an entire episode podcast. on the Oxford Comma. Maybe I'll write a book about the Oxford Comma. There you go. Hopefully, I I don't want to read that one, I'll, I'll be just... honest. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> oh, man. I'll name it after that Vampire Weekend talk. I can't say on the air. That's what, that's what we have. Yeah, about. you sure can't say that on the air. <laughs> um, all right, I'll do one more, and then we'll get out of here. I think we're about a half hour. Um, I'm going to go with which one of these I want to do. Um, I will do The Lightest Object in the Universe by Kimmy Isell. Uh, so, what if the end times allowed people to see and build a world anew? This is the landscape that Kimmy Isell creates in her surprising and original debut novel, evoking the spirit of such monumental love stories as Cold Mountain and the creative vision of novels like Station Eleven. Uh, so, in this new world, Carson on the East Coast is desperate to find Beatrix, a woman on the West Coast who holds his heart. Working his way along a cross-country railroad line, he encounters lost souls, clever opportunists, opportunists, sorry about the pronunciation, and those who believe they'll be saved by an evangelical preacher in the middle of the country. While Carson travels west, Beatrix and her neighbors begin to construct the kind of cooperative community that suggests the end could be, in fact, a bright beginning. I'm a fan of traveling across the country type books. It's yeah. very, like, American godsy, but it sounds like without... All the magic and the gods. So that's the lightest object in the universe by Kimmy Isell. And I have a couple more that I'll just put in the show notes for you guys. Um, so that's about a half hour. I think the chief takeaway that you guys should get from this episode is that you need to go read Jill's book, Reading Behind Bars. Also. Which comes out Tuesday, July 2nd. It does. Also, um, I decided. Read it right now. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. 
I decided I didn't want to just be, like, interviewed again by Adam. Not that I don't mind that, but that seemed boring. So, um, <laughs> if you have any questions you want to ask, you can email us, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. We're uh, collecting questions from listeners. Yeah. Because I could ask Jill a bunch of questions, but yours, she, she talks to me every day, people. So, um, okay. Anything else you think people should know about? I think for the first time, we don't really have any... I don't think Big so. Big Library Read is still going on right now for a little bit longer. If you haven't checked that out, just go to your website or your library's website or into Libby. It'll be the first book you see. Um, I think we talked about this, but if you haven't gotten your update from Libby, like go into the App Store real quick. Libby works with Apple CarPlay now, which is really cool. So you can listen to your audiobooks in your car if you have Apple CarPlay. Um, oh, and go check out everyonereads.com. I made a, I'm, I'm, I'm good at promoting Jill's book. I'm bad at promoting my own campaigns. I made a cool literacy program that I think you guys really like. And I have all sorts of PSA videos from uh, famous celebrities and authors saying why they believe in reading. So um, give that a, a look-see, too. So, okay. That does everything. I think that's it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, happy almost July, everyone. Go read Joe's book. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. What if you could have a career? where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.